The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Are you longing for a place where hope, ideas, and new ways of thinking can arise? For nearly 50 years, Omega Institute's campus in Rhinebeck, New York, has been a gathering place where world-class teachers provide innovative educational experiences that cultivate extraordinary potential in us all. Join us either on campus or online. To learn more, visit eomega.org. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Let's jazz it up. Let's all get together now. Welcome to the Laura Theodore Podcast. You may know me from my popular television show, Jazzy Vegetarian, where I feature easy and delicious vegan recipes, along with tips for living a kinder, plant-based life. Now I invite you to join me here each week, where I'll welcome amazing guests to share upbeat and informative conversations featuring motivational lifestyle advice and nutritional guidance, plus lots of jazzy, licious recipe ideas. It's all served up with sensational music on the side. Music. So let's get talking. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Laura Theodore Podcast. I am your host, Laura Theodore. I'm so happy and honored to be here with you today because we have a fantastic show. A while back, I had the incredible opportunity of interviewing the amazing Kathy Freston. And we're going to talk about her book written with Jean Stone. And I'm also going to share some fabulous, easy, easy, easy recipes with you. Because after all, it is getting to holiday time and we need recipes. We need them to be tasty. We want them to be vegan. We want them to taste good. And here's one that's kind of something out of the box for the holidays. It's a great recipe to serve for an appetizer. You can certainly serve this recipe along with a burger on the side. You can serve it, well, any night of the week instead of a plain sweet potato. Hmm, are you mystified? And once again, it's so easy too. It's my garam masala sweet potato bites with spicy ketchup sauce. A great one to serve for holiday entertaining. It's a sweet and spicy recipe, and you bite into these dainty but flavorful and colorful sweet potato bites, and everybody's just going to love them. And here's how it goes. You're going to start off with three large sweet potatoes, peeled and cut into thin wedges, three tablespoons of maple syrup, one tablespoon of garam masala. Oh man, that adds such a great, just a nice spicy taste. And people are going to say, hmm, is it chili powder? Is it cumin? What is it? Really, really wonderful. And you just preheat the oven to 350 degrees. You line a large rimmed baking sheet with unbleached parchment paper. Put your sweet potatoes and your maple syrup and your one tablespoon of garam masala. Now make sure to peel and cut those sweet potatoes into nice 
thin wedges. You'll see a photo on the website at jazzyvegetarian.com. Be sure to visit after the show. And you're going to put that all into a large bowl and stir with a large spoon to combine. And then all you need to do is arrange the potatoes in a single layer on your prepared baking sheet. Bake them for 50 to 60 minutes or until they're nice and golden brown and slightly crispy. Wonderful, wonderful to serve once again for an appetizer or with a burger or a sandwich uh, all winter long, all year long, actually, but great for the holiday season. And then you want to make your spicy ketchup dip. Put a half a cup of ketchup, one teaspoon of that garam masala, and a dash of cayenne pepper in a small bowl and stir it to combine. Now, when you're ready to serve this, you're going to make sure your potatoes are slightly cooled. I let them cool for about 15 minutes before I serve them. And then you just want to arrange the sweet potato bites on a serving platter in a pleasing manner and serve with your dip on the side. Absolutely jazzy-licious. You'll find this recipe at jazzyvegetarian.com under episode 809. That's episode 809. Well, now it's time to get on with the show. Well, it is now my great privilege to welcome Kathy Freston, who is a New York Times best-selling author of multiple health and wellness books, including The Lean, Quantum Wellness, and Clean Protein. Her advocacy for a more healthy, sustainable, and just food system is inspired by her concern for human health, as well as animal and environmental welfare. Kathy appears frequently on national TV, including Ellen, Dr. Oz, Good Morning America, The Talk, Extra, and Oprah. And her work has been featured in Vanity Fair, Harper's Bazaar, Self, W, Fitness, and The Huffington Post. But we're happy to have her right here on this program right now. How are you today, Kathy? Oh, it's so great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm hungry listening to that recipe. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Well, I just have to say, man, I love this book. You and Jean certainly put together something that's really groundbreaking in my opinion. It's It seems so simplistic on the outside, but it is so in-depth and so makes so much sense on the inside. And I can't uh, encourage everyone listening today enough to pick up a copy of 72 Reasons to be Vegan, Why Plant-Based, Why Now, after the program today. But um, as I read the book, I came up with, with some questions, but I, I really want to start off with Something that intrigued me that you talked about, is it really true that vegans live longer? Well, yes, it is true. It is true for a bunch of reasons. And um, so vegans, if, if you think about it, they're not eating all the saturated fat and cholesterol and all the inflammatory stuff that goes along with uh, eating meat, dairy, and eggs. So they've got lower, lower cholesterol, lower saturated fat, um, they have a lower BMI. So all the things that come along with obesity is not as much of a problem for people who are healthy vegans. So they have lower rates of diabetes, heart disease, um, certain types of cancer. They have healthier microbiomes. And, of course, when you keep your microbiome your, and your gut healthy, that is the key to having no inflammation in your body. And so inflammation is linked to so many diseases. So you really do when you're when you're eating healthier to avoid all these chronic costly 
um, painful conditions, you're not only having a better life, but you are living longer. And there, you know, it's not only what you're avoiding, it's also what you're adding in. Because if you're not eating all that uh, animal stuff to lard up your system, you are eating plants and whole grains and beans. So you're getting all these phytonutrients and healthy fiber that cleans out your body. And so it just makes sense that you live longer, you know. And you look at the places in the world that have the highest concentration of centenarians, so people who live into their hundreds, um, the people who live the longest and are the healthiest in the world. And they're called blue zones. That was uh, termed by a National Geographic explorer named Dan Buettner. And these blue zones, they have... um, a few things in common. They're very social. They tend to drink a glass of wine or two every day, um, except for the Adventists who it's against their religion. Um, they they naturally exercise. They move naturally. But one thing they do also have in common is that they are mostly plant based, and that's not from uh, necessarily an ethical place. What it is for the Adventists because their religion tells them to eat this way, but for the most part, these people just didn't have access or the money to animal products, and so they ate um, the cheapest things in the world, which are grains and you know breads and beans and things that grew near them. And they tend to live uh, much longer than people in the developed world. So there's a lot of reasons they 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 do have lower incidences of um, all kinds of diseases, and they enjoy their lives and they work hard. Yeah, yeah, that makes perfect, perfect sense. Um, Now, here's a real, here's a question. Everybody's going to be interested in hearing your answer. You say if more people embrace veganism, can it actually help to lessen the risk of pandemics and why? Yes, it sure can. And this is, you know, it's a very controversial thing, people talking about um, COVID. So I I won't focus on COVID only to say that um, whenever you have animals who are in close contact with other animals, they're shoved together, they're completely stressed out, freaked out because um, they're terrified. They can see what's happening. Their death is about to come. They hear the sounds. They smell. They smell death. Uh, they see it all around them. And it's a very, very stressful situation. And under stress, that's when the body sheds viruses, just like humans shed the her- herpes virus when they're stressed out. Same thing with animals. They, shre- they shed viruses when they're stressed out. And so they're st- they're shedding these viruses. They're in close contact with humans who are doing the slaughtering and processing and all of that stuff. And that's when viruses jump from animals to humans. And that's where we get these uh, pandemics, whether it's COVID or swine flu or bird flu or MERS or any of these things. Um, According to the CDC, about 60% actually, of all known infectious diseases um, are, are zoonotic, meaning they're caused by viruses, bacteria, or disease that come from animals and they're transmitted to humans. 
and mm-hmm. 73% of the emerging ones are coming from animals. So that's mm-hmm. a huge thing that we're, yeah. we're uh, getting these animal-borne illnesses that we can easily avoid. And forget about even if you want to, if you, you, if you don't want to look at um, COVID or, or SARS or swine flu, look what we're getting, path- we're getting these pathogens like E. coli and salmonella and campylobacter. So those are coming from animals in farms that are, you know, it's just they're in their own filth, and um, they just naturally have salmonella on the eggs, and E. coli comes from the manure. And so we are getting those um, pathogens when we eat and eat animal products and when we're, you know, um, buying into this system. So mm-hmm. plants don't mm-hmm. have that stuff. Plant, you might mm-hmm. hear about lettuce having uh, contamination from E. coli, but that the word coli comes from the word colon, meaning it comes from an animal's colon. So even when lettuce is contaminated, it's contaminated from runoff from uh, these agricultural farms and Absolutely. livestock production facilities. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah. Y- you know, we all hear... Eat plant-based, it's better for the environment. Eat vegan, it's better for the environment. But I love the way that you said this here, which I'd never really thought about it in this way, although I talk about that all the time in my books, on my show, etc. But you say it's better for the environment than buying a Tesla. I love that. Talk about that a little bit, if you would, please. Well, we'd all love to buy a Tesla, and that would be great if we could, and that's a very effective thing to buy an electric vehicle to um, help out with the environment. And But we, we can't all afford a Tesla, and we don't have access to, to that. And, and as much as an electric vehicle makes a huge amount of uh, difference for greenhouse gases, you know, you look at the... Um, the emissions from livestock, and it's like, uh, it's exponential. So here's the thing about um, livestock. A lot of people are like, I don't get it. I know there's a link between climate change and, and eating meat, but I don't exactly get what it is. So cows are ruminants, and that means that they ferment their food as they digest it. They have four stomachs, and so when you have all that fermentation, you have some gas and you are burping and farting. So the cows are basically burping and farting, and those burps and farts are methane. And methane is 28 times more powerful as a global warming gas than is um, carbon dioxide. So you've got a big problem going into the air with with um, animals who are raised. And you just think, oh, one little cow, how can that make a difference? But if you think about, we slaughter 60 billion land animals a year on this planet, 60 billion. So the, if you think, I mean, it's very hard to get your head around that um, number of animals who are, you know, giving off these emissions and creating global warming gases. So if, as an individual, it's one of the very few things we can do that has some impact for climate change, we can stop eating animal foods and move to plant-based foods. And that's, that's like an empowering thing when you think, okay, I'm actually part of the solution here. Absolutely. And, and you talk a little bit more in depth about that on page eight. And you also talk about it on page 87, where you said another thing that I thought was pretty cool. You said, laughing gas is not so funny. 
you know, methane really is something that is instrumental in climate change. But talk a little bit about uh, what you said after you said on page 87, laughing gas is not so funny. Yeah, and a lot of people don't know about nitrous oxide, and it's the thing that you might, I mean, I remember growing up and having laughing gas when I went to the dentist, and it was just like, oh, it's so great, and I just felt like so, it's so wonderful, and you know, what, my tooth is being drilled out, I don't even care, I don't even know about it, I'm just having a great old time. But nitrous oxide is 300 times more potent uh, of a greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide. So again, that's a very powerful global warming gas. And so... uh, the meat and egg and dairy industries, they are 65% of those nitrous oxide emissions. It's not coming from your dentist office. It's coming, again, from livestock. And that's because livestock requires huge amounts of fertilizer that it has nitrogen in it. I mean, if you've ever gone to a, a nursery and talked about it with the uh, nursery, all this nitrogen fertilizer that's made to um, grow plants very quickly and um, it, it, it turns into nitrous oxide when it's in the ground. And so it's also released into the air when um, it's, tre- it's being treated uh, on manure. So that is like a big problem. You have all this runoff of fertilizer into the ocean, into the lakes and stuff like that. So it's contaminated not only the air, but the water sources as well. The water sources, that's a big problem. When uh, the great Dr. Campbell was on my television show, he talked about that in depth. And at that time, I had not really thought about it that way. Uh, The fact that it's not just it being released into the atmosphere, it's all this stuff is being released into the water. And that can cause a big problem, right? It sure can. I mean, it sure can. And that's why you've got all this algae overgrowth and, you know, killing off the, the natural um, chain of life. And we're, we're, of course, anything that's in our water, anything that's in our land, we're consuming ourselves. And so that, that stuff is toxic. And once again, when you opt away from eating animal products, you're not buying into that whole industrial system. Mm-hmm. So it's one of, it's, it's very, you know, Jean and I wrote this book because we wanted to keep these, uh, we didn't want to overwhelm the reader with lots of, you know, in-depth talking about climate change and, and uh, cancer and heart disease because it's, eating a plant-based diet is so effective to um, combat all of the problems that are, uh, pretty much all of the problems that we're, we're dealing with now as a, as a human race. And we, but we wanted to keep it light and readable and just we wanted to just put like no chapter is more than a page long, maybe a page and a half. And it's not too overwhelming um, of information. We try to, to keep it light in places, like talk about climate change, talk about diseases, and then also talk about sex and relationships and having fun and what actually is vegan that you can already enjoy. And, and um, so, so the book is meant to be for the ADD brain because Gene and I think that there's so much out there that people are reading now that, you know, we read multiple newspapers, we read posts, we read social, social media columns mm-hmm. and it's just mm-hmm. overwhelming. So we wanted to keep it um, just readable so you can just pick up the book and just, you know, kind of. It, and it's also good, Laura, for th- this community. Like a lot of, 
your people already know this stuff, and our community, thank God, we are, we care, we're conscious, we we want to make the world a better place. And sometimes I think it's like we're we're walking around um, expected to be. Uh, databases of information with scientific data to prove, you know, what diets do to the body and to the climate and all of these things. So this is a a book that you can hand out to people who are challenging you on things that they've heard or things that they've read, and it's just like, here, read this. It's a super easy read. You can pick up wherever you're interested because there's all kinds of subjects and it's not overwhelming. I agree completely, and I I, I think this will say it uh, so well, what Jean Bauer, one of my favorite people on the planet, who's co-founder of Farm Sanctuary, what he had to say, he said, if you've ever wondered how to convince someone to become vegan, here's all the evidence and support you'll ever need in one well-written, easy-to-read book. And I really agree with that, because you can just open up the book to any page and just read for 10 minutes, read for five minutes, read for two minutes, and you're going to get mm-hmm. some information that feels like it's really helping you to understand. Our guest today is New York Times best-selling author Kathy Freston, and she's discussing her fabulous new book co-authored with Gene Stone, 72 Reasons to Be Vegan, Why Plant-Based, Why Now? Of course, we're not going to get to all 72 of those reasons today because you got to go and pick up the book, everybody. But you can learn more about Kathy at kathyfreston.com. That's kathyfreston.com. You can certainly pick up the book wherever fine books are sold, and that's everywhere. Well, um, let's just get to the the nitty-gritty now. I know that you have so many tips. You've always given so many tips for people who are listening to this program today, and they're saying... Oh, man, you know, huh, Kathy Freston, she's making a good point. What are three tips, quick tips, for people who are saying, man, I, w- I want to try that. I want to start transitioning to a vegan lifestyle. Well, I, I'm going to give you today three sort of emotional tips because um, – that, that I think that I think when we feel inspired and empowered and we're um, there's lots of information out there like on how to actually do it so I'm going to give you three emotional tips and the first one is lean into it just be curious lean in don't beat yourself up you know if you don't go perfect in the first month or two months it took me a year year and a half to be a hundred percent vegan and when I decided that I wanted to be someone who didn't eat animals anymore I was completely overwhelmed I was like oh my god what am I going to eat how am I going to go out how am I going to entertain at home for the holidays and so I just I just thought, you know what, I'm going to set my intention, I'm going to be curious, and I'm going to investigate what's around, and I'm going to lean into it, and I'm going to be good to myself. So that's the first tip, lean in. The second tip, I would say, is crowd out rather than cut out. And that means instead of just saying, oh, I can no longer have 
my favorite thing, which is a beef burrito. I'm going to crowd it out, so I'm going to say I love my burritos. I love Mexican night at home. I'm going to make it with some black beans and some avocado, some guacamole, some amazing salsa. I'm going to try this new vegan sour cream that I heard about and maybe some vegan cheese if I want to get really fancy and decadent. And so I'm just going to crowd it out, not cut it out. Because I don't want, I don't know about you, but I'm very bad at discipline when, when someone tells me I have to not have something ever again. It's, the, it's all that I want. <laughs> so I would say crowd it out rather than cutting it out. And then the third tip I would say is get social with other vegans or people who are vegan-ish because I think the excitement sort of rubs off on you and you get inspired. So just being around people who are also vegan or vegan-ish or, or who are leaning in, it becomes something fun and inspiring and you share recipes and you, you know, send each other, you know, this new restaurant that you heard about who, that has a vegan option or a vegan menu. And, you know, there's lots of places on Instagram. Certainly I'm on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, that, and then you stay empowered and connected and you don't feel isolated um, because sometimes when you're new to this, this way of eating, you feel disconnected from your family or your friends and then you realize, okay, I don't have to feel disconnected. There's lots of ways of doing it and you just hook into other people who are doing it well. I love that. You're right. It is kind of, it is a real emotional thing. I mean, let's face it, food is emotional starting from when we're just born. I mean, that's that's an emotional-based thing in our life. And uh, so that's a great way. Yeah, great, great suggestions. And and also, too, what's wonderful is that that get social part of it. You literally can get social on social media. In other words, you can certainly uh, join in, see what other people are saying online, you know, go to my Facebook page, certainly go to your Facebook page, your Instagram, get inspired, see other people that are doing it and the other the wonderful things they're they're saying. And of course, there's so much access to so many wonderful, wonderful recipes, uh, obviously not only on, on my website, but just so many websites. And so it does make it a lot, a lot easier. And I, I love that. I, I really do. I think that, I didn't know you were going to say that. I like that, Kathy. Thank you. <laughs> Oh, I'd, well, you know, I'm not the best cook in the world, so I would leave that to people who, like you who know how, who know food really well. But I love getting tips from other people, and I'm just always inspired when I see super easy, quick recipes and things that I know are going to appeal to my friends and family. And I just, I just get very inspired by it. But I certainly wouldn't um, wouldn't share my own personal recipes because I'm nowhere in in the uh, in the field that you are or um, other brilliant chefs out there. So, uh, yeah, I'll stick to the emotional, spiritual things. <laughs> well, thank you very much, but I just can't thank you enough for doing what you're doing because we are, today we are just so honored to be talking with the New York Times best-selling author, Kathy Freston, who I've been a fan of for many, many years. And she's discussing her fabulous new book, co-authored with Gene Stone, 72 Reasons to Be Vegan, Why Plant-Based, Why Now? 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We talk about a lot of books on this program, and if there's one book you're going to buy when you decide, oh, maybe I'm going to think about being vegan, or a book you'd like to buy if you've already been vegan for many, many years, like myself, do pick up a copy of 72 Reasons to Be Vegan, Why Plant-Based, Why Now. Really, really great book. Now, um, there's something that you talk about in the book on page 172, Kathy, that is near and dear to my heart because my grandmother had Alzheimer's. Actually, they think that my other grandmother might have had Alzheimer's, too. It was so long ago that, of course, it was never really diagnosed. But I know that my one grandmother did. And um, do you think that a vegan diet can help ward off Alzheimer's? And if so, how? It sure can, and I'm not speaking from my own, you know, just thinking so. I, I look at the research from um, Dean and Aisha Shirzai, who are these brilliant neurologists who head up the Alzheimer's division of Loma Linda University, which, uh, of course, Loma Linda is, is uh, a blue zone, the American blue zone. And they say that Alzheimer's is chiefly a lifestyle disease, which is pretty incredible because most of us think, oh, my gosh, if I have the gene, I'm, you know, I'm done. But it's, almost, it's kind of like heart disease in that if, you know, you, if you are eating well, you've got great circulation, your body is clean, you're probably not going to run into heart disease and all the things that go along with it, like high blood pressure and all of that. Well, Alzheimer's is the same stuff that lards up the vessels to your heart, lards up the uh, vessels to your brain. And the sure's eyes say that Pretty much 90% of us, uh, 90% of uh, Alzheimer's could be avoided if we eat a healthy, whole food, plant-based diet. And they say that Alzheimer's is mostly a garbage problem and that if we don't put that garbage into our bodies, uh, we do not have to worry about getting rid of it. So the garbage that goes into our bodies is the meat, dairy, and eggs, and processed foods. And so those foods cause inflammation, and they build up oxidative byproducts. And those byproducts clog the blood vessels uh, going to your brain, just like it does clogging the blood vessels going to your heart, and it deprives the brain of oxygen and nutrients. And it's an overload. It's like, you know, if you, if you have a lot of garbage, uh, you know, in a bin and it just keeps filling up, filling up, filling up, and you, you're not getting rid of it because it's just so much coming in, you don't have that problem when you're eating a healthy, whole food, plant-based diet. So you're really, um, you're, you're giving yourself a big leg up. Um, the 90% just inspires me so much because, you know, I, I personally have two copies of the gene from both sides of my, my family, uh, for Alzheimer's. I think it's late onset Alzheimer's. And so I'm, I'm very keenly aware that what goes into my body is going to affect my brain. 
Um, so, and my mother just had, she's 80 years old, she just had a bypass, quadruple bypass surgery. And, you know, she's, she's God bless her, she's, uh, she made it through and she's doing well, but she's, you know, she's had a lifetime of eating all of this stuff. And so I, I've got this stuff in my family, and I just feel so inspired and empowered yeah. knowing that the way that I eat is going to give me a 90% better chance of, of being healthy until the day oh, goody. I die. Hopefully in my goody. <laughs> That's good to know because I have the same 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 thing. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I appreciate that. That makes me feel a heck of a lot better. Um, me too. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for sharing that. I'd actually never heard that. Uh, that that. Uh, so I found it so interesting. Um, mm. We're going to step on page sixty-two. You say animals deserve better. Well, I certainly agree. Everybody who listens to this show or follows me knows that I certainly agree with that. But mm-hmm. please talk about this very, 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 very important issue. Mm. So, um, to, to me, I, I have some very core values that I think are probably pretty similar to most people, and that is a, uh, my values of being merciful, of being kind, of being a good, responsible steward. Those are core to who I am, and they are um, values that I want to practice and live in my life. And, of course, I'm, I try to be a kind person. I try to be have healthy relationships with, you know, whoever I run into in, in a store, in my work life, whatever. But the best way that I know how to practice my values is to avoid eating animals and or animal products. And the reason is because if we trace back where the animal was, how they got to our plate, it is horrendous. And I don't want to traumatize you with too many of the details because I think, again, a lot of your (laughs) listeners are already there and we don't need to re-traumatize ourselves, but I'll just leave it at the way they treat animals as they become food is is so horrendous. There is no way that we can live our our very basic core human values and and eat those. Um, Mm -hmm. I was just at a very fancy restaurant in New York called 11 Madison Park. And mm-hmm. it, it just got, again, awarded the uh, three, star, three Michelin stars. And it is 100% plant-based. Yeah, and, I know. It's uh, exciting. Isn't it incredible? Yeah. And the yeah. guy, Daniel Hume, the, the chef, uh, I talked to him at dinner. He came over to say hello. And I said, that's amazing that you are 100% plant-based here. I think mm-hmm, he has mm-hmm. maybe a little bit of honey at the end. Uh, yes, in the tea. In the tea, I think it yeah. is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but otherwise, otherwise it's um, yep. it's it's one hundred percent. So I asked him, and he said, you know, it's not like he's an ethical vegan for the animals, but he said, you know, I have visited the best of the farms, the family farms, where they assure you the animals are being treated well, and then they have one bad day, as mm-hmm. Michael Paul. Colin sort of um, uh, puts forth, and he mm-hmm. said, I can assure you the animals are not treated the way that you think they are, and it is, it, 
I cannot in good conscience cook animals anymore. It just, you know, for the environment, for human health, but also for the way that the animals are treated. And this is a guy who is a celebrated chef. He is the number one chef in the entire world. Stopped using animals because it's just, he said, it's just not what you think. It's it's way worse. I mean, obviously, we're vegans or people who are interested in being vegan, so we already think it's probably terrible, but this is a man who who was not motivated by that. He was motivated by having excellent food, and he would visit the farms, and it was just, it's not tolerable, he said. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's moved on to cooking with plants, and it's freaking amazing, you know. I hear, I hear it's amazing. I, ha- I had writ- written the article about it uh, several months before they reopened, and um, I was like, oh my gosh, this is fantastic. I wish I still lived in New York to just go there, but uh, it's, it's it just, I, I'm just <laughs> so happy for him and so proud of him. Not that I know him, but I, I'm proud of him. I can't help it. And just so stoked. And um, this is this is really wonderful that he's bringing this to the forefront in this way, uh, both by let, letting us know about it, but also by really making the food absolutely amazing, which I'm which I'm sure it is. Now, moving on to more uh, issues with, uh, you know, that are in the world that we're trying to solve. Uh, this is something that I, I don't think we often think about. I actually don't think about it that much. But you talk about it in your book, which you should, because uh, you got 72 reasons. And this is on page 34. How can eating vegan help solve world hunger. Wow, that's a good one, Kathy. Yeah. Isn't it incredible? Well, okay, you think about an animal. An animal has to eat to survive, just like we do, right? And they they consume a lot of calories. They consume a lot of food. So they're eating corn and alfalfa and weed and all kinds of grains and the, lar- the 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 most of those um, calories go to just helping the animal breathe for blood circulation, for pooping, for you know it doesn't show up in the meat or milk or eggs itself a hundred percent. So basically, you can cycle in all this food. And you get 10% out of it in calories in terms of like what humans can eat. So basically you're saying 90% of what in, what goes into the animal is wasted. And that is just, to me, it's a crime. It's 90%, 90% of those grains, those life-giving foods could be, could go to people who are hungry. And there are so yeah. many people who are hungry in the world and the, the, the developing countries can't compete with buying things because livestock companies buy up all this grain and so things go to them. But if we were not using all these foods to feed animals that are then just wasted because it just went to their breathing, their regular body functions, we could feed the world. We'd have enough food to feed the world. That's amazing. That's amazing. And And when you talk about it, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that makes perfect, perfect sense. And we something have everything else that, we need on this planet. You know, we have every yeah. bit of food, every resource that we need. We are supposed to be stewards of this world and take care of the land and the water and the animals. And if we could just see how it all works together, we have enough. There is enough mm-hmm. to do this. Mm-hmm. 
I I agree. And um, I I just like I said I I've thought of it before, but then when you the way you explained it in the book, like everything you explained in the book, even though I I know all this stuff, it's like oh yeah yeah that what what a great way to say it. And this next thing is something that's really near and dear to me because when I first gave up eating chicken and eating meat, I was still a touring jazz singer. And I went to a, a fairly major city to do a concert. And of course, this is many, many, many years ago. And uh, the producers of the concert, you know, picked me up on the plane. They wanted to take me out to eat, of course. And so we went there. And I was in a place where there was just, there was nothing, nothing on the menu. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I think I ended up having just some pieces of lettuce. I mean, it was, it was ridiculous. And the producers said to me, who, who were friends of mine also, they said, oh, you know, well, you're, you're, you're going vegetarian, but what, they have chicken on the menu. Why don't you eat chicken? And I said, well, but I don't eat chicken. And they said, well, do you really think that, you know, not eating chicken is so much more healthy? Is that, is that really healthier for you? And I said, you know, I really don't know, but it's a heck of a lot healthier for the chicken. And that's <laughs> well done. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 you know, I, I've kind of lived over the past 30 years that way. And you talk about it on page 109, but it just goes in a little bit deeper. A, a, a great way to think about it. You say chickens like to be cuddled. And when you think about the endearing personality of chickens, if you think of it that way, I think that that is, is a, a very helpful thing to say, oh, gosh, maybe I I shouldn't eat chicken anymore. But just talk about that a little bit, if you would, please. Well, it's like if you know that chicken, just like you know your dog or cat, you know her personality, you know her proclivities, you know what makes her anxious, you know her, you know, all of her stuff, just like you know your your dog and cat. And I I don't, um, there's this woman named Jennifer Barrett, and she's on uh, social media, the Barrett Family Farm. And they were, they've third-generation chicken farmers, and um, they worked with a large company that I won't say because I don't want them to be sued, but they would process all these chickens every, you know, every uh, several times a year, and they sort of woke up and said, we do not want to do this anymore. We get that this is like a horror, and what we're doing to animals is awful, and so they stopped being chicken farmers, and now they're 100% 100% vegan, and they have some rescued chickens, some chickens who were left over who just sort of found their way um, to their farm out in Arkansas, and you see their personalities. I highly recommend visiting her on Instagram. Mm. Um, I think she's on Facebook as well, and you see the personalities of these chickens in their natural environment, and they mm. are hilarious. There's this guy, Rudy, who's like the boss, you know, and then they've got these other hens. The hen, her, she has a mother hen who roosted up in a tree. Like, who knew that chickens actually are supposed to roost up in a tree because we're so used to seeing them, you know, in sheds the way. And she had all her little baby chicks up on this branch um, protecting them. And it is just the loveliest thing to see. So you get to know their personalities. But they have remarkable um, intelligence. They they can count. They can reason by deduction. 
um, which is something that humans don't even develop until they're seven years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can uh, count. They, they have empathy toward each other. They're super social. They know exactly where they stand in the pecking order. They know who's boss. They respect it. They're, they sound the alarm for each other if, if there's danger coming. They're very social. And they, I, I, I've, I've held chickens. They, they purr like little, like little cats. You know, they just kind of hum and purr and make these lovely noises. And you get to know them, and it's like, oh, yeah, okay, they are no different than my dog. I just mm-hmm. didn't know chickens before, and now I do. But they're they're really, really lovely. And I will mm. say that, you know, I made a mistake once I was getting a burrito. I ordered a tofu burrito, and somehow they gave me a chicken burrito. This is many years ago in California. Mm-hmm. And I'm eating it, and I'm like, ugh, this tofu is all chewy. And I, it's just kind of like I think it's gone bad or something. And I, I kind of looked at the burrito, and I was like, Dang, that's chicken. And so it's like, here we are, you know, it's, it's these lovely creatures, and it doesn't even taste good. I mean, if you yeah. really think about it, it doesn't even taste good. All that the chicken usually tastes good is what you put on it, you know, and mm-hmm. what you saute it in, the olive oil and the salt and pepper and stuff like that. But it's kind of gamey and gross and chewy. And um, so we, we trash these lovely creatures' lives who have families and have, you know, social desires and they've got personalities. And for what? It's like not even, it doesn't even taste good. And tofu is a whole lot better. You can season it much more easily. It soaks in all those wonderful flavors much more easily. Oh, it's, it's very, very true. Um, you know, I've, I've talked about that before, too, when, when somebody says, oh, I don't like tofu. And then, well, it's how you flavor the tofu. It's how you season it. It's how you cook it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the same thing. If you gave somebody a raw egg and said, hey, eat this. They're going to say, oh, my gosh, that's terrible. Well, it's the same thing. You don't give somebody raw tofu. You cook it and you make it and you make it good. Boy, this has gone by way too quickly. The name of the book, 72 Reasons to Be Vegan, Why Plant-Based, Why Now, written by Gene Stone and the fabulous Kathy Freston. We have about two minutes left here, so I couldn't have you leave today without giving one or two of your favorite examples of indulgent, delicious foods that just happen to be vegan. Mm, Okay. Well, I will give you two cookies because I grew up eating these cookies. And when I found out they're vegan after I went vegan, I was like, oh, hallelujah. I can still enjoy Oreos and Nutter Butters. (laughs) I love them. So, you know, I could be anywhere in the country and pop into a regular old grocery store, even a 7-Eleven, and I can indulge in some Oreos and Nutter Butters, and that makes me very happy. And also, surprisingly, I'll just throw in a little savory thing, but the Betty Crocker bacon bites. Are, are the bako bites, bako bits, they're so good. You put them on salad just like you did when you were growing up. My mom used to throw them on salads all the time, and they're vegan. So who knew you could still enjoy the taste of bacon without hurting that lovely little pig? Wow. And I didn't know about those nutter butters. Wow. I better not tell my husband about that oh, one. Addicted. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Kathy, you are a dear. This has been a wonderful, wonderful interview. And I know we didn't get to some stuff. I hope we can have a chance to do it again. Everyone, please, Kathy Freston, pick up the book, 72 Reasons to Be Vegan. Thank you so much, Kathy. 
Thank you so very much, and what a lovely conversation. I appreciate it. Me too. Be well. Well, that's the amazing Kathy Freston. Learn more about Kathy at kathyfreston.com. That's kathyfreston.com. And do make certain to pick up a copy of 72 Reasons to Be Vegan. Why Plant-Based? Why Now? Just a lovely, lovely book. Well, I know you're waiting for it. I know you're saying, hmm, what is that recipe of the week going to be this week? What's going to be another really, really easy one? And uh, this is one based on just a basic recipe that I do, which is making baked goods based in rolled oats and bananas. And instead of the sugar and instead of the eggs, use the bananas. And instead of the flour, you use the rolled oats, which makes it great because, of course, if you're eating gluten-free, you can buy gluten-free rolled oats. Uh, The gluten-free quick cooking rolled oats happen to be very good for this particular recipe, but it's my four-ingredient apricot bars. Yep, four ingredients, folks. That's all it is. And these tasty snack bars are so easy to make, very economical, and the sweetness comes from the apricot preserves. Now, there. You, of course, can get apricot preserves that have sugar in them if you so like. Do be my guest. But, of course, you can also buy apricot preserves. You can use strawberry preserves, blueberry preserves, uh, raspberry preserves I've done with these. And you can certainly just get the fruit juice sweetened without any of the sugar. So you can have some real flexibility with that. If you're not going completely sugar-free, you can get a real sugary apricot preserves. And uh, so this is how it goes. You're going to start off with two medium, pretty ripe bananas, because that's what's going to add the sweetness. And you want them to be easily mashed up. You're going to peel them and slice them. One teaspoon of a good quality vanilla extract. One and a half cups plus one tablespoon of old-fashioned rolled oats or quick cooking rolled oats work very, very well in this recipe. And then three quarters of a cup of very thick apricot preserves. Once again, you can also use strawberry raspberry preserves. Uh, You can use pretty much any preserves that you like. Do use thick preserves. In other words, if you open up the bottle and you see some liquid there on the top, you want to just drain that off. All you need to do is preheat the oven to 375 degrees Fahrenheit. Line an 8-inch rimmed square baking pan with unbleached parchment paper, and you're going to leave an overhang of about 2-inch wings on the two opposite sides of the pan. To make your dough, all you need to do is put the bananas and the vanilla extract in a large bowl and mash it to a chunky puree. Add your oats and stir it with a large spoon to thoroughly combine it until it Kind of looks like a dough. Then you're going to press half of that dough mixture into your prepared pan in an even layer. And then spread the apricot preserves in an even layer over that banana oat dough. And then just top it with the remaining dough. I just kind of blop it on and then spread it into a nice even layer. Just pat it down real gently. It's totally cool if some of the preserves kind of are popping on through because they'll kind of bubble up and make a nice little uh, kind of a sugary topping for your four-ingredient apricot bars. You're going to bake them for 20 to 25 minutes or until the edges are nice and golden. Put the pan on a wire rack. Let it cool for 15 minutes. And... uh, Then you're going to cut the cake into 12 bars using the paper wings. Just carefully lift them out of the pan and uh, let the bars cool. And uh, that's the scoop. And I do like to keep these in the refrigerator since they don't have any 
preservatives. But that's my four ingredient apricot bars. So, so easy. So, so jazzy delicious. And if you say, hey, Laura, that went by pretty quickly. I want the recipe. Well, you can get it. JazzyVegetarian.com. That's JazzyVegetarian.com. Episode 609. Episode 609. Well, now it's time to get to our music for today, and it's none other than the great late guitarist Joe Beck. Boy, I sure do miss you, Joe. And this is really a great track with a Joe Beck trio from his album Just Friends, and it's called Gentle Rain.
Well, that is the amazing, the great, the late guitarist Joe Beck with the Joe Beck Trio from his CD, Just Friends. Amazing CD. One of my favorite CDs that Joe ever recorded. Well, I want to thank Kathy Freston for doing a fabulous interview and for being with us here on today's show. And I want to thank you for being here with me because you know what? Without you, there'd be no show. I'm so honored that you choose this podcast to listen to. So until next time, be happy, be healthy, and be well. From me, Laura Theodore, a.k.a. The Jazzy Vegetarian. Do you want to deepen your connection to the divine, speed up your progress on the spiritual path, then tune in to the Spirit Matters podcast. I'm the host, Philip Goldberg, and I interview experts with wisdom, insight, and practical guidance for every seeker of truth. Spirit Matters on the mindbodyspirit.fm network. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Do you have an online course or an event or a book you'd like to promote? We've got the right audience for you. Our listeners love content like the show you just heard. You can reach our engaged audiences by advertising right here on mindbodyspirit.fm, the podcast network, in shows about wellness, self-care, spirituality, angels, and more. Contact info at mindbodyspirit.fm.